morning we are diving back into our transformational communities study in the book of Acts. So if you want to turn to Acts 21, that's where we're going to be this morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Living Waters. I am Ryan. We're jumping in uh, to, oh, so if you are new, we want to make sure that you got the invite. You probably did get it, but new to Living Waters, we have a, uh, a hangout, new to Living Waters lunch right after today's gathering. You can register if you want, but it's too late at this point. Just come. We have enough food and uh, I'll skip lunch if I have to. Oh. Um, but if you are new to Living Waters and you, you have about 45 minutes to, for us to be able to get to know you and just share some of the vision and the heart of who we are and what we're doing. And uh, really, we, wanna, we want to invite you in and make sure that you are feeling connected. So we have this lunch right afterwards today. It'll be in the youth area over there. So you just go right through this hallway out there. There will be food and a time for us to share with you and then some Q&A time. So please come and hang out with, that, with us if you're new. We also, next week is September 25th. It is the last Sunday of the month, which means... It is our Community Life Sunday. What do we do on Community Life Sunday? We don't gather like this at, 2 at 10 a.m., 2 a.m., at 10 a.m. and have worship and the Word and that kind of thing. Instead, we gather with our community life groups. We gather together as a, as a family here. We have a meal in this room for those who want to connect around a table. We have outreach opportunities out, available out into our community, into the Liberty Park District. We've been, uh, last, last month, we cleaned uh, an alley for some neighbors that had asked us to do some work, and it was an incredible experience. We've been doing a lot of trash pickup. There's another section along the railroad tracks that we're wanting to tackle and take some tools and resources out to and take some teams out to. So we are still getting together on Community Life Sunday, but it is about how are you being in the midst of your community group and then how is this community making a difference in the area around us? And really that's the heart of Acts. When, we, uh, when the Lord brought us into Acts to talk about what it means to be a transformational community, that was the heart of it. We believe with all of our hearts that if Jesus is the center of our lives and we have surrendered our life to him and come alive in Jesus, that the result of that should be transformational relationships. We should have our, our marriages, our friendships, our, our uh, groups that we are with. These should be transformational, Jesus-centered groups of people, but not only internally focused of transformation, but that that transformation, that change, and that reality that we are experiencing because of Jesus is turned, and we are then impacting the world around us. And so that's what we're wanting to do as we're looking into the book of Acts. We're still asking the question, this small community of people, this little tiny group of people in Acts chapter 2 who were ignited by the spirit of the living God. And it wasn't like a cultural wide revival. It was still, even though it was 3,000 people in Acts 2 that came to follow Jesus, that was relatively a small group uh, on the whole, the whole scope of things. That's a little drop in the bucket. And yet, God faithfully worked and led that small group of people to be transformed by Jesus' spirit, but also to carry transformation everywhere they went. And so as we're coming back together after the last couple of years being really wonky, I am experiencing this, you're experiencing this, is that people have an opportunity to ask themselves. It's like the last couple of years, as difficult as they've been, they've also created a blank canvas for us to ask the Lord, what is it that my life is to be about? What am I to add to my life? What am I not to add back in? We 
we have this, this, this amazing opportunity before us to truly be reformed around Jesus and only be a part of the things that he's asking us to be a part of. And by that, I don't mean like more church gatherings. I mean you in a personal relationship with the Lord, actually having conversations with him of what is it that should be primary in my life? And what did I used to strive for and try to attain? And that is no longer valuable. And he would take those things off of us and he would give us the things that are truly valuable. And, I, and in that, in so doing, I believe that we're looking at Acts and going, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a community of people, whether in our friendships, our relationships, our small groups, or as a church, to truly carry the transformation of rea transformative reality of Jesus everywhere that we go? And so as we're looking at Acts 21, 22, 23 today, that's right, we're going we're gonna to bust through some content. What are we looking for? We're looking for these principles that, that show us what it looks like to be a transformative community so that we can pull those in. And, and Acts 21 and 22 and 23, there's a little bit of a transition that happens in the story. And I know we took a break where we've been in Acts uh, for a long time. And we've had a couple breaks along the way. So why am I tackling Acts 21, 22, and 23? Because I don't want Acts to go all the way through 2021, 2022, and 2023. So here we go. Um, as we're looking at this, you're starting to see the story transition from this group of people and a whole bunch of different individuals and groups that are going out and having these experiences to now Paul's story. And so for a while, it was Paul's missionary story. Now Paul's missionary journeys have, have wrapped up. And what is going to be the transition? What happens now that Paul has wrapped up his, his missionary journeys? And so for these next few chapters, that's what we're going to look at in, in Acts. And then I hope to be able just to pull some things out um, while, yeah, pull some things out that I hope will be encouraging and effective for us as we are following Jesus and we're looking around our life and, and asking him, what are we to be reformed around and what does it look like to carry your transformation everywhere that we go? So Acts 21 through uh, 23, we basically have this place of, of Paul returning to Jerusalem and he's going to be sharing what God has been doing through his life as he's reached out to the Gentiles, out to those around Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus. And so, um, of course, he was received, he wasn't received super well as he was coming back in because what he was effectively doing was, was teaching a message of deconstruction, the same message of deconstruction that Jesus was teaching when he came. He came Jesus came and he said to the Pharisees, you've tried so hard to follow the, the, the word, that you've tried so hard to follow the law, but I'm gonna show you a new way. And Moses said this, but I'm telling you this. And they were having such a difficult time getting their mind around the things that, that Jesus was teaching. And Paul continued to do the same as he traveled around. To the Jewish believers, he would say, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow all the law. It's not your righteousness or your effort that has made you right. It is the, it is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and nothing else that has made you right with the Father and brought you his righteousness and brought you into Christ. And so he was telling them, you don't have to follow the calendar and the rituals and the circumcisions and doing and the sacrifices and all of these things. And so Paul and Jesus are deconstructing, in a sense, they're deconstructing what was familiar to a religious, to a culture that was steeped in religion. And so as Paul came back to tell them all, hey, it's been, a, it's been amazing, it's been incredible. They, of course, are extremely angry because they feel like he's taking apart everything that they have been established in. And of course, with that comes that sense of control, that sense of power that the religious elite have held over culture. And Paul is undermining that and he's undermining it even further. And this is the racial undertones that we've been talking about that, are, that exist all throughout Acts is that he is undermining their 
religious control and the religious spirit even further by inviting in the outsider into God and into God's grace and into God's story. And the, the Jewish religious elite of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they are struggling with this and what is taking place as Jesus, as people are following the way of Jesus. And so as we pick this up in Acts 20, we'll go back a couple verses. Paul is saying goodbye to people at the end of his missionary journey. And he's saying this, compelled by the spirit, I am now going to back to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. And he says, this is Acts 20, 22 through 24. Not knowing what will happen to me, I only know that in every city, the, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so he is planting this seed. As Jesus said, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed and it's scattered about and it's going to fall on hard soil and it's going to fall on soft soil. And so Paul is following those instructions of just spreading the gospel everywhere that he goes, believing that while some may fall and not bear fruit, some are going to fall onto fertile soil that is ready to bear fruit 20, 30, 100 times as people get a hold of the story of Jesus. And I think in that encouragement of Paul just saying, this is what my life is for, I I believe that there's an encouragement in there for us too as we carry the gospel it's not our job to get a head count it's not our job to do oh i prayed for this many people and they came to know jesus and we did this that we are we we, we don't want to live with that sort of performance mentality we want to live with this thing of as i said last week we there are seeds falling off of your life everywhere that you go. And my heart and my prayer and my belief is that through our relationship with Jesus, that the seeds of the gospel would be being spread everywhere that you go. And some aren't going to bear fruit, but some are going to bear fruit. And that you would learn to pay attention to the places where the seeds of the gospel, the good news of Jesus are bearing fruit in the communities and the relationships around you, and that as you see those bearing fruit, that you invest your time and your energy and your passion into those places and into those people. And that's what Paul was doing. In Acts 20, he, he shares this with them. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not sure what my future holds. I know that it's probably prison. I know that it's probably hardships. And when Paul, in Acts 20, jumping ahead to verse 36, when Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul had the, every expectation that this was the end of his journey and probably the end of his life. And that getting back to these places that he traveled to wasn't really going to happen. And so he said to them, this is it. This is our goodbye. And so their hearts are breaking. They're saying goodbye to Paul as he heads on to Jerusalem. And after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and we sailed straight to Kos. And so that was Paul's journey, the beginning of Paul's journey back to Jerusalem. And, and then what happened in Acts 21, if you go to verse 10, they're traveling along in Acts, in Acts 21. And in verse 10, uh, and this, the prophet Agabus shows up again. He was earlier in Acts. He prophesied a famine. He prophesied correctly a famine was coming. And so this is a respected member of the early followers of Jesus. And he comes to Paul as Paul has taken a stop on his journey back to Jerusalem and he comes and he, he came over to Paul and it says he took Paul's belt and he tied his own hands and feet with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, 
We and the people, Luke saying, this is Luke writing this. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. How often, if you had a very directed prophetic word from the Lord that said, you are going to go and do this thing, and then another prophetic word came from the Lord that said, and in going, you are going to be thrown into prison and likely face death, that you're gonna go, sign me up. Like, I want the encouraging prophetic words. Like, there's an artist inside of you, and I see you painting beautiful pictures in the future. Like, oh, yeah, I want that one. He got a different one. The owner of this belt is going to be thrown into prison. And so rightly so that the people who love him and care about him would go, hey, this is a word of warning for you to avoid difficulty. But Paul, knowing his passion and what he was compelled to do, did not view the negative as something to be avoided. He did not view the prophetic word of something hard happening as something that he should then hide from. He was simply saying, now I have a full awareness of what I'm laying my life down for. And yet here we are reading this knowing, and I'm not picking on anybody because I live in this culture too, where we are addicted to comfortable right? We're addicted to everything working out my way. I want this. I want this. And if we got a prophetic word that said, if you keep going on the path that you're going, you have what to look forward to hardship and, and, and being arrested and being thrown into prison and being persecuted. We might go, Oh man, but I love the heart of Paul who just says, no, this is the purpose of my life. And I'm not, it's not a warning that I'm going to avoid, but it's a reality that I'm going to choose to step into. Um, Acts 21, 17, then finally, as he arrived, the brothers and the sisters, those of the, of the, those, the, the followers of the way of Jesus within, within the sect uh, of the Jewish religion and culture of the day, the brothers and sisters, they received us warmly. And the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, who was the leader of the church up in, in Jerusalem. And all the elders were present. And Paul greeted them and he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And then what happened? So he's coming back to them and saying, miracles, people coming to follow Jesus. We're baptizing people. We're seeing uh, little communities of transformation being born. Churches are being born. Leaders are being raised up. Uh, there's people who have great uh, ability, a great grace on their life to understand the law and are able to teach it in a way that brings people out from under the law because Jesus is the true Messiah. But not only that, there's incredible people who are gifted in sharing this message of Jesus with the Gentiles who don't have the background in the law. This is incredible. He's sharing with them all these things that are happening and they are like, Paul, that's incredible, man. That's awesome. Dude, you don't even understand how much trouble you're in right now. <laughs> like all that we're hearing back is that Paul is out there deconstructing the old covenant, telling people not to follow the, the Ten Commandments, telling people not to follow the law, telling people not to be circumcised, telling people not to make pilgrimage to the temple, telling people not to worry about the sacrificial system and that Jesus has done it all. And this message that we're hearing back has everybody here that is steeped in the old way of control and religion are super upset with you. And so what should Paul do? Does Paul run? No. And so as we know, as I mentioned earlier, because of the intensity of the powers, power, when people have power, they want to hold power. When people who are on the outside start to come into the inside, it freaks people out. All of these dynamics are at play. And because of that, the religious leaders of the day, they stir everyone up. They, they start basically start a riot and they seize Paul 
and take him under their control. So they're opposing this way of Jesus and they're opposing the miracles and the signs that Paul is bringing back to them to show that, that God is, God's hand is truly on the way of Jesus. And so it was the messaging that Paul gave they would listen to him until he would talk about this message going out to the Gentiles, and then they would freak out again. And so the religious leaders have seized Paul, and this is Paul's chance in Acts 21 and Acts 22 to be able to share with the religious leaders what he's witnessed and why Jesus is who he says he is. And so in Acts 21, 21 and 22, it says the religious leaders, as, they, as we said, the religious leaders have been informed that you teach the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to the customs. Uh, what should we do? In Acts 21 and 30, through 32, the whole city was, was aroused. They were all in an uproar. This riot broke out, and the people came running from all directions. They seized Paul, and they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, it's not like, oh, you, you got a hold of me. Oh, no, this is like, can we, can we take some of that off of the imagination of this story and understand that this is a brutal, out-of-control mob that are trying to kill Paul? And so as they're trying to kill Paul, news, there was such an uproar. The news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and he ran down to the crowd and, and uh, uh, sorry, he ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander of his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So this is in the Jewish community. This is happening. They're being overseen by the Roman government. And so the Roman being in control, the Romans go down and they break up this mess and they get a hold of Paul. The, man, the commander came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. And so as he pulls him out of this mob that is trying to kill him, he's arresting him. Clearly, you've done something wrong. Lifts him. They had to physically lift him out of this mob that was trying to kill him. And Paul says to him, hey, could I have a moment to share with the crowd? I, I would like to talk to them. And so the guy's like, oh, sure. So he share, Paul has this beautiful opportunity in Acts 21, verse 1 through 21, to share his story and his testimony of his redemption in Jesus, but also establishing that his Jewishness, his, that he is a Pharisee, that he is trained in the law, that he understands all of this. He shares the story of how he persecuted the early followers of Jesus, how he wanted to even pursue them and put them to death, how all of these things transpired. He talks about the interruption of God on his way, blinding him and saying, why do you persecute me? And that he has this encounter with Jesus and then how he's miraculously healed and that he has been going and, and sharing the truth of the resurrection, the resurrection life of Jesus with everyone that he can. And so he gets to share this incredible story and people seem to be listening until he mentions that it's going to the Gentiles and then they throw themselves into another uproar. And he gets to share then with the Roman, uh, with the Roman commander his citizen, citizenship. And he expresses to him, and this is important for Paul's journey, he expresses to him that not only is he Jewish, not only is he a Pharisee, but he's also born a Roman citizen. And it's illegal for a Roman citizen to be beaten without trial. And so Paul is beginning to see the orchestration of God's hand to bring him to Rome. And I think that in that, in that moment of saying, okay, this is what's truly taking place. And so he gets to share his citizenship. He gets to share his testimony. And so... 
Acts 23, uh, he says this, my brothers, and he, uh, oh, and so the next day, the Roman commander is so confused by all of this. Who, who is Paul? What in the world is going on? I don't understand what's going on. So I'm going to take him before his own people, his own court. And that's the Sanhedrin, what was called the Sanhedrin. And so the next day, the Roman commander puts him before the Sanhedrin. Okay. And so he says, he says to those gathered that day, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good consciousness to this day. So what he's saying is what I teach and what I am sharing with people and what I believe and who I teach it to are all commissioned and endorsed by God. And then the, the, the priest has him slapped because he's really, this is, uh, this is the most ridiculous thing that he could imagine this man saying is like, I'm standing before you and I'm telling you that God has told me to do this and I am only doing what God has asked me to do. And so this incredible moment where Paul is saying that and he said, I stand trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I have the hope that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus is alive. And so not to get too far into the weeds, but this causes another uproar because now you have gone to a uh, extremely religious environment and they love to argue over every little thing. And so within this group of people, you have a large contingent that don't believe in the resurrection from the dead and you have a large contingent that do believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so maybe Paul in his wisdom and understanding of this, he expresses that belief that I am standing up for the resurrection of the dead and what happens? Another riot breaks out. <clears throat> so everywhere that Paul is going at this point, rioting and attempted murder. This is what Paul is experiencing. And so this caused that another uproar. And this, this uproar was so intense that it interrupted the trial, quote unquote, the trial that Paul was supposed to be a part of there. And it became so violent that the commander who was in charge of Paul became afraid for Paul's safety. And he was afraid in verse 10 of chapter 23 that Paul would be torn to pieces. And in Acts 23, you have this private moment between the Lord and Paul that is important for us to look at today. It's Acts 23, 11, after all of these different riots and things have taken place, it says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and he said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must testify in Rome. Awesome, Lord, will it include the attempted murders and the rioting or is it just gonna be like a straightforward preaching session? But clearly this was a, joking aside, clearly this was a timely message for Paul who needed to hear this from the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord to say, I'm with you and that you are, what you are doing here in Jerusalem, you are going to be doing this in Rome. And I think it's important that we look at these stories and as I shared earlier, that we don't dehumanize the reality of what's taking place, that every space between words is a story. Every period is a story. There's moments, every, every gap between a paragraph and every time that the story jumps forward, there's a reality of a human life that would be responding to all of this much the same way that you and I would be responding to all of this. Paul is not superhuman. He's not a superhero. He is walking in deep obedience. He has deep grace on his life, but that does not take away the reality that he feels fear, that he feels intimidation, that he feels doubt, that he is uncertain, just like you and I would feel those things. And that there is a reality to the moments when we are going forward. And it sounds like we're going forward with gusto of, I just want to go and do the things that God's calling me to do. 
even that intensity of passion does not remove the reality that in the, that step of obedience, you are still going to feel fear and apprehension and concern and doubt. And so this moment of God meeting Paul is so powerful to me because I, I think it humanizes the story of going, here is a man who just needs to hear from God that I'm still with you even though everything is going sideways. Because if you're anything like me, we equate things going sideways to not being in God's will. And so this timely message comes. And right afterwards, there's a direct plot to kill Paul. So it wasn't enough to riot, it wasn't enough to try to beat him to death. They now have a group of assassins, essentially, who want to kill him, okay? So Acts 23, 16, this, this plot is put into play and people are talking about it. They've, they've made a vow that they're, they're gonna kill Paul. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he's listening to this and he hears of this plot to kill Paul. He went into the barracks and he told Paul, who got the information then to the Roman commander. This intervention and the revelation of the enemy's plot stepped in to save Paul. And when the commander heard this information, he made a choice to say, Paul is in danger here. I need to send him to the Roman governor, Felix, in Caesarea. And so he makes this choice as you go on in the, in the chapter and in Acts chapter 23, you see that he writes a letter to Governor Felix explaining to him all the steps that he's taken to figure out what Paul has done, to try to understand why everyone is rioting, to ensure his safety. And when he, when he felt like he could no longer ensure Paul's safety, he decided to send him to, to Governor Felix. And we will take that, pick that story up next time. Not next week, because that's community life group, but the following week, we'll look at how Paul is continuing to move towards Rome, just as God promised that he would be. And so Paul is transferred on this continued path towards Rome. And, um, and in Acts 23, verse 23 and 24, it wraps this up. It says this, then he, then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. Do you think this was intense and that there was the reality that Paul was in danger? Get this, get this group ready. And at nine o'clock tonight, provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And so as Paul is walking forward in, in obedience, he is, ever, he is moving ever closer to this place where God spoke to him saying, you will testify as you've testified in Jerusalem, you're gonna testify of me in Rome. And so we see Paul moving closer and closer to that reality. So I wanna unpack a couple things with you guys today that I think are worth mentioning from this from this section of scripture. I don't, I don't believe that there's like promises for you in here. This is a story uh, of Paul, but we can learn of, of the character of someone who is following the heart of Jesus and we can learn the character of God and how he's responding to that. And that is something that can be then foundational. And while I wouldn't call it a promise necessarily that we go, oh, that promise is for me. The reality of God's character is something that I want us to root and ground our lives to. I want that to become an anchor. And so we're looking for these places of how does God interact with, with Paul and how does he interact with the early church in that transformative community? So the encouragement that is here is to stir up our faith and is to live in that grace of being on purpose and in passion for the things that God has given us to do. Has, just as he 
Paul was doing the same thing. That grace was on his life. That supernatural favor, the passion and the purpose that drove Paul forward, I think is something that we should all say, God, I want to have a passion and I want to have a purpose that is, it, it comes as a grace that rests on my life and I would be able to move forward in those things just the same as you moved Paul forward. And that's why I believe so strongly in intimacy. When we talk about it, intimacy with the Lord through Jesus is the ability to sit with God and to listen to him as he speaks identity over you, as he speaks purpose over you, as he stirs up passions that are unique and distinct for your life, for the season of life that you're in, for the moments that are ahead of you, that you would walk ahead into the next places of your life with that reality of saying, no, I have a direct passion. I have a direct purpose that the Lord has been stirring up in me. And I know that if I walk in it, it may not all turn out perfectly, but I know that I walk in it. I step under this grace reality. And when I'm talking about grace on our life, theologically, doctrinally, grace is on, on the salvation side of, our, of the spectrum is something different than what I'm talking about today. When I say grace, I'm talking about that supernatural favor. And when we can get a hold uh, through intimacy of specific purpose and specific calling and sp specific passion that God has for our life, and we are willing to say, Jesus, if this is what following you is, I'm following you wholeheartedly, no matter the cost, that grace, supernatural favor, rests on our life. And even if it's difficult, we draw from that supernatural favor, we draw from that grace to be able to stand up in the difficulty. Grace does not mean that you're gonna step forward and, and automatically avoid all difficulty. It means that as you walk through it, you have the strength and the ability in Jesus to be able to rise to each of those occasions. Does that make sense to what I'm talking about? Okay, and so when Paul has this, he has these, mo these divine moments of passion and purpose, and I want us to have this same reality in our life. Here's some of the things that you see God doing in this, in this section of Scripture. God exposes the plots against Paul. God exposes the plots against the good news. And I believe that God will expose the plots that, that rest against your life, that are coming against your life. When things come against us, I don't want us to be caught off guard. So whether that's spiritual or like in Paul's case where it was physical, where there were people literally trying to kill him. And when, when that comes against us, I don't want us to be caught, us, caught off guard. But I also don't want us to live in the fear that there is some sort of secret trap door that's always getting ready to open underneath us because uh, uh, we're being spiritually opposed by the darkness. We might be blindsided from time to time, but as we are living for God, for his kingdom and for his purposes, we should take great, great encouragement from the reality that God wants to expose the plots of the enemy against your life before you step into them. And, and people kind of overthink this. They're like, oh man, how in the, I wonder how that's gonna work. Is there gonna be like an angel that comes and talks to me? No, let me give you a journaling exercise. Are you ready? Number one, get up in the morning, have your prayer time, read your word, have your coffee, listen to some amazing worship music. It's the only way to grow spiritually. Um, and it has to be in that order. I'll tell you the lengths of time later. Seek, it's a secret, buy my workshop for only $60. Um, so you get up in the morning, you have some time. I, kidding. You have some time and you're going to journal and this is what you're going to do. If I was in opposition to my life, how would I come after me today? That's it. Hey, well, stop waiting for the angel to come and be like, here's the plans of the enemy and the plot against your life. You're like, oh, thank you for secret knowledge. No, you already know. You already know. So you write those things down. And then your prayer exercise is this. 
Lord, when this happens today, what is my response? And don't give me a behavior, but actually change my heart right now so that when that thing happens to me, that I have been transformed by you to be able to respond differently than this, this plot that the enemy or that darkness or that sin is bringing against me or my family. It's really simple. It really is. And I don't mean to minimize it. Don't hear me saying that, it's, that I'm minimizing it at all. I just believe that you and I both know how to trip us up. And what would be thrown in your path? And who would it be? And how would they say it? And how should you respond? Not out of religious behavior, but actually out of a heart that's overflowing. See, prayer is not about changing the future. Prayer is not about changing God's heart. Prayer is not about fixing things out there around you. Prayer is about being with Jesus in a way that transforms you so that you can be a difference maker in these places, in these things, and in these relationships. Oh God, go before me and make all of my relationships easy today. Oh God, go before me and open up all the doors for this and this and this. That's, that's nice. <laughs> but, I, but I would contend that as, as our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual lives increase, that the, that the real beauty of prayer becomes when I am with him in a way that our souls are in in communion and I am being transformed even knowing what some of the things that are going to be thrown in front of me look like and how I might stumble and then how would I respond to those that's how the plot of the enemy quote unquote that's how the plot of darkness that's how the plot of sin gets exposed before you find yourself ensnared in it simple journaling exercise and prayer exercise I would encourage you to try it you will become a genius who is a step ahead of whatever thing might be coming against you. I'm not saying you'll know everything, but I bet that you would know enough of what's coming to be able to go, oh, I prayed about this this morning. This person and their smug little face. <laughs> and I know, yeah, I knew it would be you. I knew it. Oh, and I knew as the Lord worked my heart in compassion and kindness, how I should respond to that person. So that being said, even with the plot exposed and, the rea and, and God speaking to Paul about the reality that was to come, Paul continued forward. Exposure of the intentions of darkness against your life does not mean that you have permission to avoid or reject or reroute your life from what God is asking you to do. Defeat and setback were a part of Paul's story. They were a part of the early church's story. They were a part of the story of a transformative community and they will be a part of our story. These defeats and these setbacks, they were not fatal to Paul's direction and in fact, they became vital to its unfolding. And I believe that's the beauty of each of the stories that we are living is God's ability for his purposes to be advanced, always undefeated. The only thing that could have stopped Paul was his willing choice to walk away from what God was doing. So if we look at it in reality, Paul took a lot of losses in these chapters. He took beatings. He was arrested. He was detained. He was questioned. He was doubted. His, his reputation was destroyed. He took a lot 
of losses. He did not win every round of this fight. Actually, when we read 21, 22, and 23, Paul didn't win any rounds of any of those fights. Yet God continued to move forward and protect Paul just enough to see his purposes for Paul's life and come about. So why? Because when Jesus and his way are our focus, God brings us to the places where we can have influence. And that is why we have to be ready, as scripture says, to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. Giving an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus on a really good day doesn't carry much weight, right? But when we are going through it and people see that we are carrying hope, they are going to watch our life and go, what is this hope that you have? As Paul is being dragged out of a pit of people who are trying to kill him, he says, wait a minute, let me tell them why I'm doing what I'm doing. Let me give them an answer for hope. Too often when we are rescued by God, we land and run. No judgment here. But giving an answer for the hope that we have is as we are being lifted out of some of these things where we are losing rounds in this battle and the circumstances aren't turning out the way we want them to and not everything's coming together the right way that we are in the midst of that still holding hope in Jesus and we are able to declare to people this is the reality of the life of Jesus in the hardest of times. And that is the testimony that we carry. That's the testimony that Paul carried that was so powerful. First Peter, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. When you can maintain hope and give an answer for it, that's when the pit that you find yourself in becomes your platform. That's where the canvas where you've been knocked down becomes your stage that you can stand and testify the goodness of Jesus. Every outcome of your life is not always going to be positive, but hidden in every negative is an opportunity to find yourself, to find your voice, and to find your anchor rope to the hope of Jesus and to hold on in a way that people go, what in the world is this hope that you have? Even when the plan gets sideways. I'm gonna have the worship team make their way up here. We're gonna take some time in just a few minutes to have some response and communion will be open, but I've got a couple more things that I wanna share with you while people are moving around. So if you could focus your heart and your mind for just a second as people are moving about. And you might be saying like, hey, we've touched on this topic a couple times. Like Paul was called and Paul was directed and there was this grace on his life. Shouldn't that have led to preferred outcomes in every one of these situations. I thought you might say, I thought that hearing God and obeying God was a formula for these things to work out. A plus B equals C, right? And to that I would say, if only. The number of moments over the last year that I have processed my spiritual pride with God in anger towards him, because I, in my pride, believed that, God, I have laid my life down for you. I have given myself to you. I have followed you. I have done all of these things, and yet death has entered the story of my family. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, God. I did it right. A plus B equals C. Come on. And I argue and I hurt just like you when we're looking at our life and the fragments of that formula. 
that we have to, one, have the permission to be able to say, God, this isn't making sense. But we also have to have permission to sit in that place and say, maybe I've been operating in spiritual pride under the wrong expectation and under the wrong formula. That if I have everything right, this doesn't happen to me, this happens to them. This doesn't happen to my family, this happens to their family. This doesn't happen to our church, that happens to their church. That doesn't happen to our city, that happens to their city. Why? Because we have spiritual pride that says we're following Jesus so well that we are insulated from tragedy and death and pain and brokenness. And it is absolutely not true to the point that when we encounter tragedy and death and pain, we believe that possibly I have done something wrong to deserve this. And that's not how Paul responded. And that's not how we should respond when our formulas don't work out. Yes, Paul had a call in his life. Yes, Paul had a passion. Yes, Paul had a purpose. Yes, Paul had a grace that was resting on his life. And yes, Paul got his ass kicked over and over and over and over as he tried to follow what God was asking him to do. And if you're like me, you're sitting here today going, I feel that. And when my formula breaks, I have to ask myself, do I really want to pick this formula up and keep going again and try to make it work? Or in my, the humility that comes, do I let go of my formulas? And do I let go of the things and just say, yeah, this happened. This happens to our family. This happens in our marriage, this happens in our city, this happens in our church, and it doesn't make sense. But we believe that God, you have a purpose and you have a passion for us and in us, and we are gonna continue to follow you and watch as the unfolding story of how these things are not counterproductive to the outcomes that you desire and the purposes you desire, but become a part of the story and the purposes that you desire. Here's what I believe. I believe that your life is not moved forward by God's plan. I believe that your life is moved forward by God's purposes. And too often we're watching and believing for a plan instead of riding in the safety of God's purpose for our life that is never going to go according to plan. Why? Because I'm a part of the plan and you're a part of the plan and brokenness and death and all of that is part of the context where this story is unfolding. And so the plan, God, give us a plan, show us your plan. No, God, show us your purposes because we know that your grace will rest on us as we pursue with passion your purposes, letting go of the plan, surrendering to your purpose. Your life doesn't look like what you wanted it to look like. It's not turning out the way that you wanted or expected. And you're holding it up next to a plan and you're comparing it and you're looking at the distance between the two. And that deficit is causing a judgment to land on your heart that you have failed or that God has failed. And I have to tell you, the plan was never the plan. It is God's purposes that move us forward and we can mistake it for a plan because he is that good and he is that mysterious and he is that able to take us to the places that we're supposed to go. But it is his purposes that move your heart forward. 
lay down the plan. I'm sorry. My plan sucks and is broken too. But God's purpose is still resting on me. God's purpose is still resting on you. God's purpose is still resting on your marriage and on your family and on this, this church and on this city. His purposes are resting on us and he will take all of this and he will use it to get us to the place that we need to be. And even if it means some losses, it is in the midst of those losses that we get to give an answer for the hope that we have. And we can sing these songs and say, you've never failed me yet. You've never failed me yet. And we're like, you have failed me over and over and over. Paul's like, God, you've never failed me yet. Why do you keep getting punched in the face? It feels like God has failed us, but he truly hasn't. And that's the most difficult thing for us to reconcile. But it begins to happen when we can relinquish this perfect plan. And we can say, God, raise me up in your purposes and give a passion for my life. And let me live and walk under your grace. And I want to say this. <laughs> Worship team, I'm sorry. You guys are awesome. Look at you. You're so ready. Like, can we? Could we? The purpose and the passion of your life is not to just tell every single person you encounter about Jesus. And I want you to hear that. Because the gospel takes root in places where you are fully alive in Jesus. And you fully alive in Jesus might be that I need to be okay with the purpose and the passion of my life right now being my kids. Or raising up kingdom resources to give into the next generation. Or the passion and the purpose of my life right now might be my marriage. Or the passion and the purpose of my life right now might be that one neighbor that God is highlighting. It is in the intimacy that God is able to speak to you. This is the purpose and this is the passion of your life right now. Be okay with it. Step into it and believe that because you're walking in the purpose and the passion on your life, there will be a grace that accompanies it that means when it gets sideways, I, my purposes are still being seen and brought about. Okay. And just because you have a purpose and a passion for a season of your life doesn't mean that it is that for the rest of your life. Learn to recognize when grace rests on your life for a season, for a purpose, and for a passion. Please learn to recognize when that grace lifts because that's where we die emotionally, physically, and spiritually is when we try to operate for God without His grace on our life. So sometimes it's resting on you and you go and then it lifts and he puts it on something else and we have to be able to say, okay, God, this is now what I'm after. It's the heart of my son. It's my relationship with my mom. It is the forgiveness of this thing. It is this school that I am called to. What I, it is so unique to each one of us. We have to stop being somebody that we're not and trying to be others and just say, God, what is the purpose and the passion of my life right now? And as I step into it, would you let your grace rest on me for this season? Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's take a few minutes and we're gonna worship. Communion is open and available to you. I'm gonna ask the worship team just to remain and worship a little bit longer this morning so that we have time to take communion. We have time to hang out with Jesus. We have time to reflect on him. What is this that you're doing in me? At 11.30, we would ask that you would go get your kids if you have kids in there, just so we're not leaving our amazing workers over there for too long. But let's take some time for communion. Let's take some time for worship. Uh, join us in a few minutes next door for the new To Living Waters lunch. We love you guys so much. Communion, don't check out. 
Spirit of God is here. He's doing something. Let's worship and allow that to take place.
one more time.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for a love that is so much better than even earthly human love. And we pray that just this word that your spirit brought to us this morning, anything that landed in our hearts from what Ryan spoke or from the worship God, we just pray that you'd continue to unfold it in our hearts that we'd understand it deeper. And Jesus, that you would seal us today in your purposes, even in the places where our lives haven't turned out or looked the way that we thought the promise said they said that they would. Lord, would you anchor us back in your purpose for this season of our lives, specifically whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, we just pray that your heart would feel anchored in the love of a good father. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's quote from the Chronicles of Narnia that he might not be tame, but he is good. He's not a tame lion, but he is good. So I just pray that over our hearts today that we would know that even in the midst of life's up and downs, he's good. There's goodness yet for you in whatever you're walking through. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. We love you. Amen.